Hello and welcome to episode 45 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the casual spike focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies in modern and other eternal non-rotating formats starting from Return to Ravnica onward. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, back from his European sojourn, his week on the continent, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Man, Stan, I missed you guys. I missed this podcast. I was really jonesing for recording. Hearing you guys make two episodes without me, I was having some real FOMO. I'm glad to be back. Are you glad to be back because you miss us or because you miss being on the episode? Hmm. I think I was actually just concerned that you would <laughs> get used to doing this without me. Oh, no. And that would just be kind of relegated to the sidelines. You know, it, it looked from the slack like you were missing the show until you had to write some notes. And then <laughs> bop, we, got, we got a real, real stream of consciousness <laughs> of what was going on there. Also with us here in Chicago, the godfather himself, Dave Harberger. It's Monday night. Been quite a day, huh, fellas? <laughs> this day will go down in the history books. Yes, yeah, sure, absolutely. Like, It'll go down in our history books. Yeah. I don't know if it's debatable. When we do episode 450, nine years from now, and we're talking about the next format, uh, we'll, see, we'll see if we remember this night. Called shot. In nine years, all four of us will be replaced by robots. I would like to think that I'm a cyborg. Last but not least, it's our warden cyborg, Zach Callahan. The future of the prison is technological based, and that's just how it's going to be. I can't wait to play Pioneer. On this week's show, we'll break down some results from the weekend's SCG regionals, looking at some of the most popular decks across the country and some unique brews that popped up. Then we'll talk about the newest non-rotating format to get sanctioned support. Welcome to Pioneer Town. Finally, we wind down with a listener question. But first, some housekeeping. Big thank you and what's up to our newest patrons, Aaron C., Manny H., and Red, White, and Blue. Also, thanks to Craig M. for going up a tier. Appreciate it very much. And a shout out to Spoonie Bard and Run Wizard Run for the friendly reviews on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate all the nice words, all the support from new patrons, existing patrons. We do it for you. So for everyone who's been looking forward to the tokens getting out there, they're finally printed, they're finally sorted, and they're finally packed, and they'll be going out shortly. So those are the tokens that you get for being part of our patron. There is one of me as a goblin, one of Dave as a very buff, handsome elemental, Stan as a slender elf, and then Shane as a very handsome spirit. Yeah, it's everyone who's uh, $5 or above an episode gets those coming out to them. They look sick. As always, check out manatraders.com to rent all of your MTGO and Paper Magic Card products. Use coupon code THEDIVEDOWN, all one word, to get 10% off your first three months of service. You can also use Manatraders for all of your upcoming Pioneer needs. Going to be a lot of motion in the ocean of that format. Test out cards and decks before you play them, before you buy them. See what happens. Have some fun. Yeah, I'm actually perhaps more excited right now to use mana traders to test all these new pioneer decks because I'm going to want to be pivoting between a lot of different strategies really quickly. And I think that renting is definitely going to be the way to go on that for a while. And with all that out of the way, let's jump over to Shane, who is back at the news desk. He's on location in several cities across the United States. 
Large chains have been sighted in several major metropolitan areas. Stay indoors. Do not approach the enormous chain. Yeah. He's a multi-shard AI that kind of just <laughs> is there, omnipresent. I feel like I should be a lot better at magic if that's the case. Yeah, I, I keep asking you to turn on the lights in my smart home and it doesn't work very well. Yeah, so I'm actually in 11 cities right now, which is where the SEG regional events took place. And sadly, all of those cities were very far away from me. So I think the closest one was like eight hours driving. So I couldn't hit up any of these. So the SEG regionals, if you don't remember the last time we covered these, they're some of my favorite events. This is one of my favorite weekends for magic and for the podcast breakdown, because what it really lets us see, in my opinion, is a, a really cool cross-section of kind of the casual spike metagame. So I think the listeners of this podcast, they're going to be able to look at the results of regionals and get a really good idea of what's happening in stores like theirs, in ter- local tournaments like theirs. You know, you aren't going to see the typical SEG or GP metagame at these events. You're going to see more rogue decks. You're going to see more players who have their deck. I kind of look at this as generally the people's meta rather than like the tournament meta. And I'm not saying these are the casual tournaments. It's not a bunch of scrubs playing these. These are some great players. But I think that you're going to see a little bit something more similar to what you'll see at your store than what you'll see when you head to the latest SEG Open. And I think one thing worth mentioning here is that the decks that won the events themselves, like the number one place, aren't really worth worrying about. In events like this, people often are splitting the top eight and heading home because after they get the cash, winning the event doesn't really matter for anyone who isn't grinding for SEG points. So we got the top eights from all these events. And so let's let's focus on those top eights and kind of the, the meta numbers that we see out of all these events. So right now we have eight of the 11 events. So apologies if things we get later on this week make this less meaningful. We record on on Mondays and so we're thankful to have even eight of them just the day after the, you know, day after the weekend of these events. So, you know, we'll work with what we got. There's still 64 decks. The pretty clear deck of the weekend, I think, was Amulet Titan. It was pretty much head and shoulders above the other decks in the field. We had 11 out of 64 decks in the top eights that we have are Amulet Titan, which is pretty substantial. The next deck below that was nearly half. I think it might be worth pointing out right now that a key card in Amulet Titan got banned in standard today in Field of the Dead. So a card that they're using right now to great success was deemed too good for standard on this very day we're recording. So just something to keep in mind. Yeah, it's about 17% of the top eight metagame right now. So that's saying something. Typically, if we see 17% on day two, our eyes are wide. So, you know, it's not the, the biggest sample size in the world, but still, that's a that's a substantial portion there. That's a lot of people bringing Amulet Titan and winning with Amulet Titan to, to these events. Yeah, exactly. I think we'll talk a little bit more about why that might be the case when we talk about kind of takeaways from this, but I'm going to keep jamming down the, the data here a little bit. So just behind Amulet Titan were the eternal evil twins of Mono Green Tron and Jund with six and five decks respectively. So just under 10% representation in the top eights for those two. And following that, we kind of have a, a much larger segment of the top eight data we have. So we have four decks with three top eights each in Titan Shift, Mono Red Prowess, making a little comeback, hey. Jund, Death Shadow, and hey. Dredge. 
And then there's seven decks with two top eights each. So we had Infect, Humans, Grixis, Death Shadow, Esper Control, Burn, Bant, Snowblade, and Blue White Control all showed up with two. And still in the style of you know CFB, we can still describe 25% of the metagame as other. So 16, 16 decks showed up just once. So we had some interesting decks in there that I noticed were things like Wurza, Paradoxical Outcome, Urza, Urza Ascendancy, Slivers, Five-Colored Mizzet, uh, Red-Green Ponza. I absolutely think that Red-Green Ponza is the premier sort of mid-range deck, if you want to call that that right now. It has a lot of similar things to Scred and sort of other grindy mid-range decks from that period, or from the period of before Modern Horizons, I mean. But right now, the the mid-range payoffs aren't worth it unless you can also disrupt your opponent. And the one-mana removal isn't good enough, so you need the land removal as well. So you have to sort of... I think this is where mid-range is right now, and it's interesting to see that Ponza is the one that made it out of all of them in the end. So just to recap really quick, we had one deck with 17% of the metagame, two decks with 10%, and then a bunch of people that were kind of falling in that sort of 5% or lower. So it was a kind of imbalanced overall picture, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, Amulet Titan really surprising yeah one of the other things we did in breaking down this data is to get a sense of what finish either various decks had and one of the things that stuck out to me about amulet is that it had three decks make it to the finals or rather three pilots made it to the finals with this deck three out of the 11 in the eight events yeah yeah i mean like shane said there there are a lot of people who just split these top eights so sometimes the placements are a little bit kind of unreliable but Still a good point. I mean, it's interesting to to hear. Yeah. So, you know, to give you some more useful takeaways and just some raw numbers, we identified about nine interesting things from the regionals. Do we did we identify about nine things? About nine, exactly nine, perhaps. Um, so use this information as you see fit, nation. But uh, let's let's I'll start with uh, with with Amulet Titan, like we've been talking about. So one thing I noticed is that every Amulet Titan deck was running once upon a time now which definitely seems just to be a straight-up new stock inclusion. Yeah, I, I played against Amulet Titan on uh, at the Nerd Rage 5K on Sunday, and uh, Once Upon a Time is very good for them, um, especially when they go turn zero, Once Upon a Time, turn one, Ancient Stirrings. Seems like they pretty much get whatever they're looking for. Yeah, do you, do you think that it's just like getting that look into the deck for like the creature they might need or the land they might need just to improve the redundancy of the strategy or what exactly is it is it doing for them? Uh, yeah, totally. It's making it's just fixing their hand to make sure they get the payoff cards that they want and both of them both of those cards are perfectly on plan for for Titan. There's no spells in or there's not too many spells in Titan, you know, it's mostly creature payoffs and people really want Azusa. And uh, trying to sequence it like that to see what you've gotten or what you don't have, it's, it's, it's really good. To quote a Titan opponent of mine, when they played Once Upon a Time and then revealed... What's the name of the 1-1 snake that taps put a land into play? Sakura uh, Tribe Scout. They, they got one of those and went, oh, neat. And that sort of just sums it up. I think it's better than neat, to be honest. Like it's, it's, you know, For them to be able to decide, okay, I want Sakura Tribe Scout or I want Ancient Stirrings or you know, I have... I don't have an Azusa, I'm going to dig through 10 cards in my deck to try to find one, or I don't have a Titan, but I have all the other cards. It's uh, it's looking pretty good. Nice way to clean up some of your opening land hands, too, so you don't get punished by your own bounce lands, as well as making mulligans, I think, a little easier to digest. One thing I've also noticed all of my amulet opponents do 
they always play once upon a time before they even play their first land and i think that heuristic doesn't really hold up in standard but in a deck like this in modern i think having all that extra information or that ability to sculpt your hand might actually make that a decent play i'm not sure i haven't i haven't cast the card myself yet i'm not sure what you mean by that stan do you mean like before they take their first draw like there's no difference if they do it before or after they play a land i just keep noticing that they will cast once upon a time at literally their earliest possible opportunity if they're on the draw then they'll do it at my end step if they're on the play then they will let it decide what their first land will be i don't think any player would cast it at your end step i think they would they they should cast it after their draw because there's no reason not to cast it after their draw what Stan's saying is that people are not doing it when you say when you're saying well, that's that they should I'm, do I'm it. Saying that, I seem, I'm saying that seems crazy. Like There'd be no reason for that to happen. But what he's saying is people are making a mistake. I'm not making a judgment one way or the other. I, I know that that heuristic, I think, is pretty questionable and standard. And maybe it's more forgiving and modern. Yeah, I don't know. I've noticed that, that the people that I've played online and in paper with Once Upon a Time are also triggering it off before their draw steps sometimes. And I, I think they should probably get a card and then see what they need. Because uh, guess what? The card's free, and you get the information afterwards. You're going to draw a blind card either way, so I think you need you want to get the non-blind card after you after you get the draw. Uh, there's a little 1A subpoint. Uh, in Mono Green Tron, however, Once Upon a Time doesn't seem to be exactly a staple yet, but it looks like three out of the five deck lists we have right now for Tron ran them in some number. Well, how many are they, they running? I saw, I saw two, three, and four. So it's it's currently both inconsistent in usage and inconsistent in numbers. And that was our one of our one of our second tier decks. So you looked at six different lists, and that, that's uh, that's or five different lists. So that oh, that's there there were there were six that there there it did show up six times, but we don't have the actual deck list from Chicago. So I only was able to see five deck lists. But that leads us to some more interesting things about Mono Green Tron. Right. So speaking of the evolving wild that is Tron. Two to three Thrag Tusk are sort of just main now. And like we've been seeing that pop up for a few weeks, but Thrag Tusk is just an inclusion and it was sideboardable, but it feels like one of those cards that was for the most part sideboard in a lot of games. So if you're already bringing in a lot and the meta shifts, why not just have it main? We also see Karn the Great Creator, a card that is very near and dear to my heart, just belong in Tron for the most part. And I've definitely played against Tron decks where they can play Karn minus and play latest on the same turn. And that's just the ultimate bummer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess if you really look at it, playing Karn and then Lattice in the same turn is the same thing as playing an Ulamog. Sure. So it's interesting that they can you kind of pay for it in installments that way, you know. Different outcome from the Ulamog, but it's it's they're still both ten mana. I'm surprised to see to see Karn in that much number as well in these decks that are doing well, because it really seemed like Karn wasn't going to get there in Green Tron for a little bit, and now it's kind of swinging back. Yeah, it seemed weird. It was like inconsistent, right? It wasn't a uh, definite inclusion in the deck and people are kind of going back and forth on was it hurting my sideboard too much and like zach mentioned though if you just kind of move some of your most important pieces to the main deck and you know you then you're able to move your walking ballista that you might have three of main you just have your one on the side and that's all you really need you can tutor it up with a car in the great creator maybe it's just a, a smarter configuration now I, I do have one theory for why maybe uh Karn is showing up in these decks, and that's because I think Karn is pretty good against Urza. Yeah, they sure are. They sure are. So I think you're incentivized to find decks that Karn can go into uh, main these days. Speaking of Urza, 
Only three Urzas across all the top eights of the eight tournaments we're looking at. Shocked. Well, we do know that we do know that Zan Saya did win Riley Raleigh with uh, as, uh, an Urza deck, but we don't have their actual top eight. We just know from Twitter. So then, it, wouldn't it be four? It would be four, well, but we don't know the rest say of the top that? eight. So yeah, so it's three plus one. So it's three that were in the top eights that we have, and then we don't have the deck list from Raleigh, but uh, Zan Syed won. It's a hidden deck list. You have to put in a G code online to get it. Exactly. I mean, it's interesting because it seemed like every report that we saw about the weekend were people talking about playing Urza or playing against Urza. And it felt like, again, you know, Stan and Zach and I went to event that, an event the next day with many, a lot of players that I think also played in regionals. And uh, there were a lot of people that we were talking to about playing Urza while we were there. I wonder if part of it is just that Urza kind of absorbs a lot of the conversation because what happens in those decks tend to be stories. And I even have a story about an Urza matchup, uh, outcome matchup going to time and taking an extra 30 minutes just because of how long that combo takes sometimes. So, wow, that's a great story. Thank you. Thank you for keeping it brief, unlike the Urza player. <laughs> hey, I mean, it's interesting week over week because when we were talking about the tournaments from the week before, there were a ton of Urza decks doing well if i remember that that was the day two meta that was like 16 17 percent urza isn't that right so pretty interesting this kind of fits with my my personal thoughts at least that a lot of players that are kind of going to tournaments like this aren't really running out to sleeve up urza decks there's the cost of the deck there's the potential banability of the deck there's the fact that the play style might not fit with what they're trying to do you know the tournament grinders they want to play the best deck. And so they might borrow the cards, they might buy the cards, sell the cards when they're no longer using them. I don't think that's the case for a lot of the people who are going to the regionals. Yeah, so you feel like the types of players that show up to the regionals are different from the types of players that show up to opens, basically? I mean, subtly. I don't think it's like a dramatic difference, but I think that there is a, there's going to be a general difference and enough to make a, an impact on the results. I think that's just because there's more players, right? If you combine all the regionals, it's going to be more players than are at a single open. It's probably about the size of two opens, I would say, from what from what it seems like to me. But Isn't that exchange rate kind of malleable, though? Like one day it might be three opens to one? Yeah. I mean, it changes a lot. I mean, the economy is pretty wild these days. Yeah, you got to get there early so you get the fresh ones off the back of the truck. I thought the truth. I'll, t- I'll tell you what, those those Hamani, Queso, Bocadillas are a lot cheaper over in Spain than they are here. This takes me back to are Barcelona. You, are you being paid by Big Ham right now? <laughs> <laughs> next? Okay, I think uh, a next point we can look at is that interactive decks can still be popular and successful strategies for smaller competitive tournaments like this. I think that the tournament meta, there's been some rumblings that it's not really interactive right now. That certainly doesn't seem to be the case with the results that we saw. You know, we saw five classic Jun decks in these top 64 decks. We saw five control decks of various flavors. We saw five Death Shadow variants, if you want to count those in the interactive camp. So, you know, interactivity is always going to be at a tournament like this, in my opinion. And it kind of goes with the previous point, which is I think that that players that are playing in these smaller tournaments and these local tournaments, they're going to be the people that you see bringing Jund to the store every week. They just like the deck. They're going to play it. I mean, I, I think that's I think that's great. I mean, we definitely have seen a lot of people still playing Jund and stuff like that at the Opens as well recently, at least at Indy there was. And um, it just seems like Jund 
uh, I don't know if it's against all odds or like, I like John, I would like to be good at John, but I've definitely seen a lot of people, a lot of results coming back with that deck still being good right now. So that's kind of cool to see. And death shadow is definitely like the talk of Twitter lately. There's tons of people trying stuff out with death shadow still. And I, I know that death shadow pilots, you know, they, maybe I just follow a lot of them on Twitter. Uh, but there's definitely a lot of good thinking and content out there around it. So it's cool to see the decks doing well right now. Are they trying to capitalize on the perceived lack of interactivity, especially kind of at the tournament meta? Because if you can stick a threat and you know pump it up with a Demon Battle Rage, then you're good to go. That might be part of it. I also suspect that Death Shadow is one of the best creatures you can cast after Thoughtseize. And if everyone's playing non-interactive combo decks, Thoughtseize is very appealing. Yeah, very good point. And there's lots of flavors of Death Shadow out there suddenly. I mean, I know that Grixis and Jund, Jund did the best, but Saltai is popping up and all kinds of stuff. Totally. I got crushed by Jund Death Shadow over the weekend, and it made top eight of the tournament I went to. It seems like a really real up-and-coming deck. Up-and-coming back back from the past deck? It's just Traverse Shadow, right? We just we don't call it that anymore? <laughs> we, don't, we don't say that name here. So it was originally Jund because it was before people were using Traverse, and then it changed to Traverse and then kind of kept going from there. Speaking of Blast from the Past, we also have three copies of Mono Red Prowess from the data we have, and that is slightly more than the two copies of Burn that showed up. So it's just interesting that these two decks, which are kind of similar, but in really actually pretty distinct, but go fast red aggro decks, there's two that can exist right now, and they're putting up pretty good results. I, you know, like the differences between the spells that sort of cycle and pump and trigger prowess versus the bolts and the other damage spells, but I think these decks are cool. You know, I've seen sort of people moving away from the Bedlam Reveler build. What are we seeing lately? Yeah, there was a lot of Bedlam Revelers in these decks. Uh, I think, you know, they all had a quartet, if I'm correct on that. But what do you, what do you prowess guys think about this? The the fact that let's make a little comeback. That's a pretty tough question for me to approach because I feel like Mono Red Prowess is not as great as it used to be, but I took some really bad beats to it, and it's become one of those decks where it's like, part of the reason why I don't think it's as good is because my performance with this deck has declined over time, and usually my performance with decks improves as I get better and more familiar <laughs> with them. There's two charts. Normally I do this, but now I'm doing this. Well, I think it's just, a, it's just a worse deck now, but I mean, just because it's a worse deck doesn't mean it's a bad deck. Yeah, and I think that distinction is really important to consider when you, I don't know, even if your deck changes to a ban like Faithless Looting and you have to reimagine it entirely. So the thing that's interesting to me is that, uh, yeah, some of these lists, it looks like what's happened is the, the the really popular version of this deck that was online for a little bit and doing well was the Kiln Fiend version. And it looks like we have decided that we are not going to play Kiln Fiend anymore. So we're not trying to do this super hyper-aggressive, very fragile version, it looks like. It looks like it's back to something that's more based on Bedlam Reveler, including that one deck that has Warlord's Fury and Crash Through, which is wild because it's so many cantrips. Um, I haven't seen actually that many people running Warlord's Fury, and uh, instead we're going to concentrate on running Blister Coil Weird um, to fill out our package instead. Yeah, maybe one of the reasons for my results with the deck post-ban is that I was trying to play Kiln Fiend, and something you discover very quickly is that Kiln Fiend never gets out of bolt range, and the prowess creatures do. Yeah. That, you know, bolting them can sometimes be scary and dangerous, so. Yeah. 
there's an incredible sequence you can do with uh with kiln fiend that involves like reckless charge to give it haste and you give it like plus six plus oh with reckless charge and all this crazy stuff happens but it um it just dies so it dies i mean i love mono i loved as i've said many times i loved playing that deck a lot um it's nice to see it getting results i might take a i might take another spin with it we'll see up next, additional reinforcement that Merchant Avail seems like it's the truth in Dredge. An insolent Neonite Dredge still took first in Missouri, and Dredge still has inherent power no matter what your turn one enabler may be, but don't skimp out on your graveyard hate and consider looking at Merchant Avail as new technology. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that it may be slightly better in the end, but no matter what, the both those cards are going to get your engine going. And I think graveyard hate is important to run not only for dredge, which is always going to be lurking in the background, but you know, it has inherent value against paradoxical Urza. It has inherent value against a number of decks. They're trying to use their graveyard. These new Sultai type builds that want to capitalize on their, uh, the long game using the graveyard. You, you want to be able to hose those with your rest in peace or your Leyland of the voids. Yeah. I heard some people talking at the, the 5k that we went to about, dredge pilots saying that it was a great time right now because nobody because everybody's forgotten about graveyard hate it's a good reminder to say hey you really can't i mean the decks seem a little less popular online right now but i think if you're going to a local tournament or any kind of paper tournament don't forget to bring graveyard hate if your deck has a good plan for it just keep it in your trade binder and if you're up against a dredge deck just whip it out of the trade binder Mm. Do you mean to show them that you could have put it in your deck? Because you would never imply to change your deck in between rounds, right? No, I would never imply that. But if you see the dredge players nearby, you know, you can change your deck up real quick before round one. You just want to scare them a little bit? Just like <laughs> have it on the table? Like, oh. Use it as a token? Imagine if I had these in my deck. I'm going to attack you with this ley line of the void. <laughs> Jack the judge would kill me if I suggested changing decks between rounds. Don't do that. Yeah, don't do it. Sorry, Jack. So I want, to, I want to talk about these five Stoneblade decks making an appearance in these top eights, right? So I, I think I'm pretty happy calling Stoneforge ultimately 100% safe for the format, right? But it's not broken. It's not doing things that you know people are upset with. It's just you know another tool in a mid-range strategy for modern. I think it's still strong enough to be a decent to good choice any weekend. And I think it's also interesting that people are still experimenting. We're still seeing experimentation. We saw the pretty typical blue-white list, but we also saw Esper, Naya, which was pretty wild. And there were two of these newer Bant Stone uh, Snowblade decks with Oko. So I have sort of a multi-layered question for you. Yes. So you said that you don't think it's too good, but isn't the fact that it, it gets unbanned then immediately starts showing up in top appearing decks, five of them, is that why is that okay? And I'm not challenging you. I, I just don't understand how something can be good enough, but also immediately putting up results. Well, I mean, five, well, let's, I'm kind of comparing it to the initial surge that we saw and what it kind of settled into is something that's about equal with a number of other strategies. We saw Mono Green Tron, Jund, you know, we saw a bunch of decks at, at four, you know, four, four decks being represented. I don't think it's even fair to call all these Stoneblade type decks the same. They're just featuring kind of a similar engine card. So, you know, even if you said there was only, there was five of the exact st- same Stoneblade deck, I still wouldn't think it's too much or broken. Yeah. For me, what it really comes down to is the card can both be good and safe, even if it's very powerful. 
And perhaps that's why it was banned for so long, because everyone anticipated how powerful it would be. But that doesn't make it problematic. And at least at this point, I don't see it really warping the format as much as just maybe making some fair decks a little bit more viable. Awesome. So basically what I'm getting from both of you is that it's good, but not too good. And a card is allowed to be good. Cards have to be good. I think Stan made the important point is that things aren't being warped around its existence, right? Like people aren't running some crazy amount of of weird creature and artifact hate. Like they're not uh, running torpor orb, you know, it, like as a three of in their sideboard to stop the to stop the ETB of Stoneforge. It's just kind of another angle of mid range attack, typically. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important just to point out really quick that this helped make mid range decks that weren't green black viable. That's kind of my my feeling there. What about red? There was a Naya. This Naya deck, by the way, is is crazy. It uh, just to give a little bit of a highlight here. It's got some real curveball cards and things like Elvish Reclaimer, which I think is a card we talked about in our M twenty preview episode. That's pretty cool. It's running four Simeon Spirit Guide to try to cheat out maybe Ren and Six or cheat out a, a turn one Stoneforge Mystic. Turn one Ren and Six. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> Crack a fetch plus get it back. I think I'm going to win this game. Your turn. <laughs> I think that's that's the only payoff that's really in here, from what I can tell. And then also, it's got Karn the Great Creator package in here too, and it's running a one of Ember Cleave as one of the one of the pieces of equipment you search up with Stoneforge Mystic, which is a pretty sweet card. Yeah, this deck's rad. I, I'd be interested to see it keep showing up. Tony Ranallo, we salute you for bringing something wild to the table. Wherever you are, Tony. And finally, we end with Oko Watch 2019. Oko wasn't everywhere yet. So Oko certainly made a bunch of appearances in these top eights. I saw a lot of tweets, personally. I had a lot of people talking about Oko. I feel like Oko was the first magic card I heard mentioned in everyone's mouths. I played against three different Oko decks immediately at the tournament. Um, Oko is no longer a planeswalker. It is a way of life. We're all Oko now. Oko is us. We are Oko. Have we moved up in severity from an Oko watch to an Oko warning at this point? Ooh. Oko threat level. Threat level Oko. Yeah. What's interesting to me here, though, is that Oko wasn't taking over all these top eights yet, but I think there's some interesting hits and some some trends to come. You know, like, what did you guys notice? Well, Jurassic Park. T-Rex walks, you see the ripples in the water. That's right now. Here's what I'm noticing, Shane. If you can cast an Oko, there's no downside to doing it. I mean, you yes. take, you still, you're doing something else on your turn three than you might otherwise, but it's a pretty darn good turn three play. Maybe you're gaining loyalty to remove a problematic permanent, or maybe you're just gaining life so you're not losing the race. Or you're making a 3-3. Three, three. Or you're upsetting me consistently and constantly. I, I think that Stan, the point you make is is how I feel about this card too, which is basically like it's a sideboard plan, it's a main deck plan, it's a control card, it's a mid range card, it's an aggro card, it's every card. Um, I I do think that we're gonna keep seeing lots and lots more <laughs> of Oko all over the place, and I just want to thank uh, my my co host Shane for hooking me up and making me get them before they spiked today. Yeah, I mean, you grabbed you grabbed those two yourself, and I was like, "Dave's gonna need four. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna reach out." He FedExed me some Okos. <laughs> Is that true? <laughs> yes, FedEx. Really? Well, not FedEx, <laughs> but uh, they 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 came today, right? I haven't checked the mail today. 
Are you telling me those Okas are sitting out in your mailbox getting all like wrinkly? I mean, it's locked. My mailbox. I have a lockbox. Okay, thank goodness. They're safe. All right. It's Al Gore's well, I mean, box from 20, 2000. Don't come by my house and try to take my Okos listeners on the live stream. So at that Riley tournament, I mentioned Raleigh. I keep wanting to say Riley. That was stacked with SEG names. A lot of the SEG grinders go to the, the Raleigh one. But Zansite. I mean, it's, the, it's where the mothership is. So, of course, that's they all they all live around there. The aforementioned Zan Syed, he won with like the Sultai Urza mid-range deck. It had four Urza, four Oko, four Emery, four Gilded Goose, because why not? Um, and uh, I guess he and his team have been testing it recently and are very high on it. So keep your eyes peeled on that. I just think the current buzz about Oko is that it's just really, really powerful. People are throwing around the word busted because of course they are, but you know, unfortunately, the banning of Field of the Dead and the announcement of Pioneer, which we're going to get into, quickly made the card jump to over 60. So I'd love to give you a hashtag MTG Finance, but right now it's just like MTG Finance frowny face. Yeah. Hashtag. MTG Frownance, if you will. There you go. So yeah, I think that's our takeaways from the regionals. I, I love talking regionals. I think it gives us a lot to look at and hopefully give you something to learn from. But uh, yeah, I think we had a bit of a longer breakdown. We had more tournaments to talk about than usual. We're going to take a quick break. We've earned it. And when we return, we're going to try to contain our mutual excitement for Pioneer. Stay with us. So we know what you're saying. Isn't Dive Down a modern podcast? And yes, we know this isn't our usual format, but let's be honest, Pioneer, at least today and likely for the rest of this week, is going to be the talk of the town. And quite honestly, we on the podcast are very excited about it. So we're actually going to try to make the case for why the Pioneer announcement is relevant to modern players. So with that, we're headed west to New Frontiers. Was it the Coast made announcement on Monday, the day we record today? Thankfully, officially announcing a new sanctioned competitive format, Pioneer. Pioneer is a new non-rotating format with cards from Return to Ravnica forward. And Return to Ravnica came out in 2012, FYI. Weirdly coinciding with when I got back into playing paper magic. Also weirdly coinciding with a large increase in the player base and a large increase in the print run. But we'll get to that later. Yeah, I heard a couple people say the same thing as you, Dave. They were like, that's when I got into the the game. I'm glad they're doing that. Yeah. I've been playing uh, draft online since Zendikar, but Re- uh, Return to Ravnica, I went to a Grand Prix with a friend of mine who came up to visit me in Chicago, and that was kind of when I got fully back to hook. And I wonder how many people have the same exact story or a version of that story. So in their article, Wizard of the Coast gives some details about why they want to start that format or their thought process behind it. And the first is that there's a pretty substantial gap between standard and modern. The oldest modern set came out, no joke, 16 years ago. I, I couldn't honestly believe that 8th edition came out in 2003. Yeah, that's a bit. Yeah, and like I feel like an old man now. I feel like I went from being like the hot young buck to just like, oh, 8th edition, oh, I remember. Yeah, you know, I uh, I graduated from college right before 2003, so. No, this can't be right. <laughs> <laughs> Shane graduated in 2003. What frozen hellscape am I living in? I started thinking about pension plans in 2003. No, oh, no. Hey, guys, you want to start an insurance podcast? <laughs> <laughs> ah! 
bonus. <laughs> this must be our Halloween episode because this is a nightmare. And this 16-year gap since the last set to enter modern makes it pretty difficult for new players to jump into this format, especially after their cards rotate out of standard. So for those more recent players, Pioneer, I think, is designed to be an easier format to jump into that makes their growing collections more valuable and more playable over time. Since, let's be honest, a lot of the best standard decks aren't turning into modern decks that consistently. There's like a couple of ways that this can be easier, right? Like it's sort of like logistically easier because you simply don't have to have as many cards and probably easier for players to comprehend because there's fewer cards in like the card pool. So those that's kind of like sort of what I can imagine Watsy indicating by that. But I think they also kind of didn't want to outright say financially, this is going to be a lot easier too, right? Yeah, I mean, it's hard for them to say that, right? And and we know that the price is, you know, we have a note in here that says as of Sunday night, only three cards in the entire card pool were over $30. That will, that has changed as of today after the, uh, immediately. Um, only a few cards, I think really went haywire. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately that, that happens with magic because demand drives prices and formats drive demand. And so um, people are trying to figure out what's going to be good and there, there's going to be imbalances there. But hopefully, you know, it does give people a chance to sort of build che- cheaper non-rotating decks than modern. And modern for a long time has had complaints around the price of entry because of fetch lands. Yeah. And other cards, of course. Yep. No fetch lands and Pioneer. Yeah. That's the, the biggest point is that even though this includes uh, Kansa Tarkir, uh, fetch lands are banned. So, Zach, I know you had some thoughts about kind of why RTR was a good point to start, specifically for the availability reasons. Yeah. So, I, inspired by some personal anecdotes, like we mentioned, Dave got back into it during then, and I played Standard during that time. And a lot of people I played against had mentioned that it was their first time ever playing Magic. So, sort of remembering this, I remember meeting all these new people, I dug into, did a little bit of research. And so 2012 was the year that I mentioned that Return to Ravnica came out, and that was a super big year for Magic. Magic grew 30% in terms of revenue, so a third of the player base got added to it, right? Super big. And so also during this time, this is something that isn't confirmed. I don't have a source for this the way I do with the other one, which we will gladly provide in the notes. But the print run size changes well. So... Innistrad and sets before that were smaller print runs. We don't know exactly. There's way too many printed to do accurate counts, and Wizards doesn't release the data. But it's clear that starting from Return to Ravnica onwards, the print runs were much larger. So there's just more cards available. And going forward, there are going to be more and more cards available of sets that are printed in these new large print waves. So starting a non-rotating format with cards that are just literally more available and more printed than other sets just makes so much sense. There's literally more of them. So they're more accessible. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I started playing again in cons and I remember people even then were were talking about how much cons was being opened, which has to have source in the first place. Right. So they were printing tons of cons and tons of cons kept being opened. Uh, You know, that's not going to really impact much on the pricing now because the the fetch lands aren't in the set but you know it's just gonna it's just an, another additional i think piece of evidence or at least anecdotal evidence where you know there are a lot more cards out there you're right zach and it's the sort of thing where 
I've been to places where they have like Return to Ravnica or Gatecrash packs and they're only like six bucks a pop where an Innistrad pack is something like 14 or Mirrodin even higher. And like, obviously there's power level issues, there's eternal playability cards issues, but just in general, the print room is so high that like you can get boxes of some of these sets for reasonable prices online still. And I think that, and who knows what it will change with that or how that goes on. But the point is that there are just so many of these cards that although they may spike in price, there's enough of them to keep the market stable for now in my opinion. And I think another reason that Watsi stated they chose RTR onward is they want, they thought it was a good kind of cutoff to have enough cross-block synergies to give the format its own character. And I think also encourage deck building. Um, they did state that on Thursday, there's going to be a stream that even has some more reasons for the RTR cutoff, but that's unfortunately after our recording, so we really can't address that at all. Interesting. What do you think they mean by cross-block synergies? So I think they're referring to things like Return to Ravnica and Guilds of Ravnica and having multiple core sets with sometimes having overlapping synergies like white life gain, etc. I think they're also talking about things like if there's a zombie deck in standard, they might plant the seeds for it in one set that have a really good cards for it in the next set. And then typically before it might rotate out in standard talk, they might have some really big bombs for it. So it's the sort of thing where in standard you have this four-month period where you can play the super broken zombie deck, then it rotates out. Where here it's like, hey, remember all those zombie things we did back then? You can do that plus the stuff we did later. So you can have this super cool standard zombie deck plus this other super cool zombie standard deck. Plus these cards that never would have gone in there because they didn't exist at the same time. Clearly I'm excited. Yeah, I think it's just a fancy way of them saying the card pool's big enough to have some yeah. cool decks. <laughs> Like there's going to be enough plus one plus one counter stuff where maybe you can have a hardened scales deck. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Do you sure. think we're going to get the Mark Rosewater article about this format in relationship to New World Order design? Mm-hmm. Basically, because I think like M14, which is sort of about where this starts, I believe is where uh, Return of Ravnica is. It might be. It's not M13. I don't think is kind of like bit uh, mid stride of that new simpler design style coming to to the foreground i want to talk a little bit about this the ban list that you guys hinted at earlier which is you know there's a new format right everyone's going to be contemplating the initial ban list or what's going to quickly be banned watsi beat us to the punch a little bit by banning the five format legal fetches which are the allied fetches or those yeah the allied fetches right that are in cons what they stated was mana bases with fetches and shocks were considered too strong, made three and four color decks too easy to play. You know, putting constraints on the mana bases adds to deck diversity because you can't just squeeze all the best cards into a single deck without making a lot of concessions in your mana. So there's kind of the cost benefit analysis on doing that, right? They surprisingly to me didn't mention the typed battle lands that exist in Battle for Zendikar, which were simply incredible with fetches, along with also having, you know, the shocks and the and and so on that uh are were also typed duels in the format. So removing those fetches also kind of reduces shuffling time quite a bit, which I certainly appreciate. That's one of the things I really don't like about playing paper modern is just the so much shuffling and de- deck manipulation totally agree with that i mean i think it's it'll be interesting to see if the deck diversity thing holds up or not because on the flip side there is a chance if you have good mana to be able to play worse cards sort of you know what i mean so if you i'll be curious to see if there are a bunch of decks that are different because in order to play liliana of the last hope for example she has to be in one 
deck. And then in order to play uh, Stormbreath Dragon, it has to be in a different deck. And you can't like put those together. Not that I'm sure either one of those cards is going to see a ton of play in Pioneer, but... What you know, are you saying to me right now about my favorite dragon, David? I just don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I do know. But you know, you know what I mean? Like, I'll be curious to see if that comes true. I appreciate it from a financial aspect and also just from a trying to make this format different from modern aspect. Yeah. Keeping the fetches out, I think, is key to, is almost more key to giving this format its own personality. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Is Sarkon playable here? Sarkon playable here? I didn't even think about this until right now. I was just about to mention it, but I didn't want to I blow didn't your even mind. I think about this right now. He could be, this could be where he shines. I might have to leave the podcast. I'm so sorry. Get ready for your Sarkin. Get ready for Sarkin cast. Sarkin watch 2019. Yeah. Sarkin says featuring Sarkin. Zach Callahan. Okay. Perfect. So the, the future of the ban list after all that um, seems pretty dynamic. They state they're going to be watching the magic online results, which, which start really, really soon as we'll get into. They said, we we will be willing to ban cards if they are problematic early on. So I don't, I think that it's going to be fun to play powerful cards as soon as possible, but I don't think you should hang your hat on anything too soon. The first modern tournament, bef- like they had a ban list then, it's not the exact same. The first modern tournament before things were really figured out was very silly, featuring things like turn one kills and lots of comboing off and just lots of very silly decks. So it- it'll be interesting to see how many bans come right away because I think it's clear that a lot of cards are going to be banned right away. Yeah, which makes it really dicey to want to buy cards in this format right now right i mean i one thing that's really no you just gotta buy bad red cards exactly yeah i mean i'm i'm all for that actually zach when you say buy red cards it's like no i said buy bad red cards but thank you oh, bad red cards. <laughs> well i mean i just think if you look at so one thing that's interesting about this particular era of standard okay if you go from return to ravnica to now is that it actually had has had some of the most bands that standard formats have had probably in 15 or 20 years since Cawblade, right i mean Cawblade. there wasn't i don't believe that there was a card banned in standard between Cawblade and the eldritch eldritch moon bands that happened that that one time so um there's a big gap there where nothing was banned nothing was banned nothing was banned and then all of a sudden you know we have um reflector mage get banned and emerald the promised end get banned and then we have later on we have the energy decks get banned and now we just had feel the ruin get banned so there are a bunch of cards in this you know smuggler's copter was banned and rampaging ferocidon for for no reason for no gd reason was banned it died for chandra's sins mm. and or hazard sins rather and oh my goodness I, I can't wait to sin again i cannot wait to sin again i mean play some rampaging ferocidon with hazard now don't tempt me so there is a bunch of powerful stuff in here that I think people are anticipating will get banned and likely will get banned. Like you're going to have a real hard time convincing me that um, Feldar Guardian is going to stay in this format for very long. You know what I mean? But we'll see. It's, it's going to be powerful. So here's an exciting update. By the time this podcast comes out, which we assume is Friday since that's when it always comes out. We hope and we pray. Pioneer will have been legal on MTGO for two whole days. Because it's going live on Wednesday, October 23rd, which is frankly wild. Such a quick turnaround for such a big announcement. Oh my god, I'm so excited. <laughs> Zach's going to call in sick. Mm, I, any employers of mine, if I happened to not have been in on Wednesday, assured there was a family emergency and I couldn't make it. 
They've already said there's going to be format challenges on Sunday, just like the modern and other format challenges that happen on MTGO every weekend. There's also going to be MTGO PTQs, player tour qualifiers, all through November and December. And there's probably going to be even more announcements made on Thursday that we're not even privy to yet. And on the heels of that, Pioneer is just being slotted into a lot of competitive level play scheduling out the gate. We know it's going to be on the Players Tour series starting in February. Players Tour finals in late April will be format Pioneer. In March, some tabletop qualifiers for Players Tour will be using Pioneer. And Channel Fireball already updated their event schedule with Pioneer Magic Fest starting in late January and early February in Brussels, Nagoya, and Phoenix. That's US, Europe, and Asia. I'm going to have a hard time not going to the Phoenix one. That's like not a far flight for me. And if, if, if it's popping off, I might have to go. As of now, Star City Games hasn't announced anything, but they do have a lot of to-be-decideds on their open schedule for next year. So very good chance a CG tour will also feature the format. And if not, I will have words with Cedric. Will he have them with you, though, is the question. Yeah, he doesn't know us. I don't know. He, he, he took a photo with me once in Denver. <laughs> is that a humble break? <laughs> I asked. Close friends. So let's kick off with some of our initial reactions, because today has been a whirlwind. And we want to start off first with what this means for the Dive Down podcast. Um, I'm quitting to start my own Pioneer podcast once again. Sarkin says, featuring Zach Callahan, I believe we are only available via the ESPN app currently, but we're working on that. Not the athletic. You had to go to ESPN, huh? I they would they didn't uh, they didn't go for it when we pitched it. So I think we should probably start with the most important and definitive update for our listeners is that we're not going to pivot into Pioneer out the gate. No, of course not. I mean, we're here to be to fill a certain type of content for people who play modern and um while this also is an eternal format and we'll be keeping an eye on it it's not like we're changing or going to do anything like that i mean i think we are all kind of thinking and saying the same things when, when we were talking about it all day um we i think we want to talk about what non-rotating formats players are interested in what we're interested in what we're enjoying playing you know, we want the podcast to be fun for us fun for our listeners interesting for everybody involved and I think what that means to me, at least, is that if Pioneer is fun to play, if people enjoy discussing it, then I'm personally going to want to play it and discuss it with you all and with the listeners. So I, I don't think we can really predict what that means in terms of like the cadence of content, what topics we're going to cover and when. I think we're really just going to be exploring this new format along with our listeners. What I can promise you listeners is that I will propose more Goblin episodes than ever. I will fight for equality, liberty, and fraternity for all red players. I think one thing that's interesting is that this, to be able for us to talk about this format, we don't have to learn new cards. Ain't that the truth. And so we have to learn new relationships and things that aren't relevant in modern might be relevant here, but this is a card pool that we're already familiar with. So it's going to be hard in one sense for us to not pay attention to it when it's cards that we own, um, cards that we've played with given our engagement with standard or or limited or things like that so it's just something else to keep in mind is like it's kind of additive value for us to be thinking about it so we might just do it seamlessly yeah what what do you guys what did you guys feel when you when you heard this like you know we kind of heard like a few rumors bouncing around yesterday but then they had the announcement bright and early this morning you know what was your initial reaction joy unbridled and unrolling and burbling over 
cosmic optimism that yes. anything mm-hmm. is possible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What if every standard deck you had loved was actually competitively viable? And what if you own them already? And what if you were actually kind of handsome? Like, that'd be pretty cool, right? If all those things were true. <laughs> oh, threat level, I'll go. I do think it's interesting, though, Zach, that you know, you're know you kind of saying, like, I'm looking forward to kind of bringing these old standard decks up a level. Like, you know, I, I loved this Crypt of the Threat deck, or I loved, like, Jeskai Tempo. So I think that's definitely one way of looking at it, right? Is, like, I, I want to bring out these old classics from the standards that I played and and see if they have the chops with maybe some new cards. And I think there's also a way of looking at it, and we'll probably talk about this later, is, you know, what modern strategies can I retune with the card pool of Pioneer? So I think those that's two reasons, I think, to be excited, right? Is can I power something up and can I depower something that we know is already good? Shane, are, are you excited? You didn't say. <laughs> oh, oh uh, I'm, I'm hyped. I mean, this gets to a lot of my magic mm. addictions, right? Why are you so sweaty when you say that? And why are you reading off a page? <laughs> I, I like getting in on cards before they spike. I like owning cards for new decks. I like playing magic. Um, I, I think that this lets me scratch those itches in yet another way like i really needed that like a wild bear here i am i think that that my reaction like if i'm going to be honest about what my first reaction was it was that i was excited yeah i i there's lots of like complicating mitigating factors that i start to think about like second level effects that i'm sure we can talk about later on but my first impression was oh yeah i was pretty sure that something was coming here for a while i thought it would be historic turns out it's this instead that's cool. I like Return of Ravnica too. Um, and so great. And see subtle then. <laughs> but what about, but what else, what other than that? Now that we've had our initial reactions, I mean our Slack was hot today. I'm still hot. My my heart rate has not settled. My calories today are off the charts. Water intake, you couldn't believe it. I mean, yeah, the the chat was going buck the the patrons and the nation were really going at it they were you know pasting deck lists they were talking about cards that were going up they were talking about what they were buying you know i had uh, todd anderson stream on in the background today he was doing some testing in the free play area with his uh twitch subs they were having fun jeff hoogland was in on his stream saying that he was super excited for the format ross miriam tweeted about starting his own podcast today that would be out tomorrow all about pioneer people yeah people are excited yeah it really drowned all the conversation that happened in standard with today's ban and restricted announcement and even on reddit the announcement of pioneer has about 600 more comments than the bnr announcement post <laughs> how the upvotes doing on that they're high <laughs> they're high captain so i mean I'm kind of curious if a number of people were just kind of waiting for like a decent excuse to to stop thinking about at least maybe not stop playing, but stop thinking about for a little while about like this drag race format of modern and maybe step into something a little bit less insane. I think we'll talk more about that later, but that's kind of you know part of my initial reaction too is I think people people seem like they were very ready to talk about something new. Well, I like there's so much stuff that's not here and like that's a whole separate discussion and whole other thing, but my prison deck does not exist. Like literally everything about it does not exist in this format. I'm sorry, the goblins do. The yeah. goblins there and I'm so excited, but the fast mana, the bridges, the moons as Dave once quoted Oh, Zach, all your favorite cards come from 8th edition, and they do. And 8th edition is not part of this. 
And you're still excited. Yeah, because of goblins. I, I also would posit that one thing that's interesting is that there might be no prison deck here. Like there's there's I feel like there's a certain style of cards that exists in the modern uh pool just in general that just does not exist in in this pool at this time. And so I'll be curious to see how they character the format sculpted by that. Dave, I totally agree. And I think that's intentional on their part and i think that at a certain point they clearly set out with design standards and said all right people generally don't like this or don't have this in mind so we're going to avoid it in standard we're going to avoid creating standard that does that so that then ports over to create these decks where it's hey there's no blood moon effect in standard there's an alpine moon or there's an other similar mana you know field of ruin s card to deal with these kinds of decks so we have them being aware of prison strategies and supporting them in other formats that aren't standard so because they've been aware of it for so long, we have a format that is designed in mind without in sort of, you don't get to play magic style deck. You know, so we talked a little bit about what we might not be able to play, but I think it's, we, we have all this excitement. What are we excited to play? I think Stan, like, what are you thinking, man? Like, what are you hyped to get into? There's a lot of strategies that I'm super pumped about. And there's some cards in particular I have my eye on to the point that I'm going to be predisposed to trying those decks if they start to make a splash in Pioneer. So for instance, something like Young Pyromancer and Stoke the Flames, a combo that I'm pretty sure existed for a period of time in Standard, one I never really got to try out, looks a lot of fun, make a bunch of tokens, convoke out a big burn spell. And Soul Artifact was a card that was in Standard just as I was kind of introduced to that format, so I never really got to play that combo with like Darksteel Citadel or Hanger Backwalker. Kind of almost like a white whale. Arclay Phoenix. One of my favorite decks in modern ever. Potentially very viable here again. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Sure, you don't have Manamorphos, you don't have Faithless Looting, but you do have Is a Charm, you do have Charter Course. I mean, you have Brawl, you have Goblin Electromancer, you have enough burn and cantrip style spells. I mean, you could dig through time and treasure cruise. Yeah, that's the thing that's really interesting is that those cards line up. And then you also have, um, you know, you have stuff that people have played with Arclight Phoenix so far, like Charter Course. You have Thrill of Possibility, which I think is like possibly something. You have Merchant of the Veil, which is in here too. Um, you also have Radical Idea and the uh, the Velocity card was an increased velocity the two jumpstart cards that could be good maximize velocity maximize velocity that could be a thing in here so you have the, you have the radical idea yeah radical idea i've literally been talking about in past episodes how i've been playing is a phoenix and arena and enjoying it so it's literally just like hey if, if that deck is kind of viable what if a bunch of years before it like yeah i don't it just this is going to be good i'm so excited we'll see if some what has to happen for the format to settle down they're going to, have to ban a lot of stuff and we'll see what they do but i'm looking forward to it i mean it's it's best friend thing in the ice is also legal so yep and so is bedlam reveler if you I'm wanted to try to play with mono red phoenix oh my goodness i'm so excited mm-hmm. and smuggler's copter last last card on my short list i bought four of those today yeah, another card I never got to play in Standard. I actually bought those after they rotated out of Standard because I thought it was so interesting. And I guess they were banned, right? They were never truly yeah. rotated. So I got those cheap. I thought it would be a fun card to play with. And now I might finally have that chance. I bought eight Smuggler's Copters when they were banned. Because I was like, this card's going to be good again someday, someday. So wait, is this the this format is you being rewarded for all your wild late night speculations? Pretty much. I mean, I still have a playset of Stoke the Flames. 
yep. from 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 when it was in standard. Oh yeah. I'm sorry, alongside Goblin Rabble Master. Yeah, I kept I, I kept my Rabble Masters from standard too. Uh move to combat before declare attackers, tap to convoke, instant burn you. Soak the flames really is one of my favorite cards that I ever played in, in standard. I'm extremely optimistic that it could be good in this format yeah yeah stan i'm also you know hyped about the arc Blade phoenix thing in the ice type builds we'll see if those have legs uh i bought into and had enough for the pieces of like a kind of a golgari hardened scales deck so you have your winding constrictors you have your hydras you have some steel overseers some walking ballistas some hangerback walkers you know you got powerful green plains walkers there's definitely a stew there for a hardened scales deck that list sounds awesome i haven't seen that yet Oh, yeah, it's going to be dope. Speaking of powerful green planeswalkers, one of my few speculation buys today was a full playset of Deathrite Shaman. There's also, I have some interest in kind of uh, various mid-range strategies. I initially was kind of thinking that mid-range wouldn't have enough of the tools that it has in the eternal, in like modern eternal format. But then I was like, well, it kind of has almost all the good removal that like the black green mid-range decks has. It has it's got Assassin's Trophy and Abrupt Decay. It has a yeah. It has fatal push. It has thought seize. There's a number of powerful green and black creatures. The planeswalkers are dope. Like you don't need to have Liliana of the Veil. You don't need to have Tarmogoyf to have a really good mid range deck. And there's also Tireless Tracker. There's like Simic mid range with Oko. There's plenty of options. Something I feel like we've sort of danced around or not exactly acknowledged. Because I feel like what we're talking about right now is we had a whole episode about cards that were almost modern playable, right? And cards that we feel like were so close. And now it just sort of feels like we're going back and going, wait, all these, like, they're good now, right? We can play all these cards now. And, like, maybe, maybe, like, I got so excited about Sarkon that I've already, you know, made my own podcast and put a lot of money towards it, so you better listen. But we'll see if it even goes anywhere. I think one thing that's interesting is that I believe that the list that we put out on that cards that are aren't quite good enough for modern yet. I think all of those cards are in fact uh pioneer legal. Yeah, I know. Mostly because we we're mostly familiar as players with cards from this era, but Yeah, I would say definitely return to Ravnica is when I started getting very serious about magic. And I'm sure that's the same for a lot of people, which is why it's a good time to have the set cut off. Zach, I know you can barely contain your enthusiasm. So what are you what are you hyped on building? So I was a very serious standard player during the area of Amonkhet. I enjoyed that block. I enjoyed the lore. I love everything about it. So uh, the Ramanop Red deck that existed with the Ramanop Ruins, Hazret, Chandra, Earthshaker Kenra, Bomat Courier, and that deck's really good, and I love playing that deck. And what if I could also put Goblin Rabble Master into it? And maybe some shocks or some other spells or figure out what, you know, some lava coils, whatever that deck needs. I feel like that deck is very good and I can easily put my heart and soul into it and play goblins once again. Because there's not a lot of fast mana in this format, so I'm not doing all the silly things I was before. Like I said, prison does not exist here. So I want to play goblins and I want to play red cards and I want to um, play cards that have bright red flashy lightning on them. That's what I want to do with my life and I'm going to do it. I think the stuff that I'm the most excited to play revolves around a lot of stuff from cons block. I guess I would say it was probably the most fun I've had in a standard format. It's such a great standard. It was it was like a perfect standard, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't play a lot of it of standard. I kind of started playing it because you were getting into magic and we're playing standard. And um, there's a whole bunch of cards there that I would be really excited to play, though. 
interesting ones that I kept and held on to in hopes that they would be good someday. One of them is uh, Soulfire Grandmaster is one of my favorite cards. It's, I think it could be a really powerful two, two drop potentially in this, depending on how things go. I definitely want to play Treasure Cruise and Dig Through Time. Those cards are incredible, quite frankly, and uh, we'll talk about those a little bit more maybe later. But uh, Treasure Cruise, especially if there's a red-blue spells deck, you know, the, during that modern, when Treasure Cruise was legal, there was a, um, you know, there was a Delver deck. That was the last time that Delver was sort of dominating. And if there is a Delver-style deck, some kind of resilient, cheap threat, not resilient, a powerful, cheap threat in this format, uh, Treasure Cruise could be really amazing again. But there's no Delver. Well, no, that's what I mean, is that we need, there needs to be some kind of threat that, that, fulfills that and you know early on this podcast i said that arclight phoenix was the delver that works maybe maybe this is the format where where that combination gets really good um i would love to play be able to play arclight phoenix again and have it be a decent but not dominant deck for sure um a couple of other favorite cards that i have again they're kind of con z block cards one is um two they're they're from the mardu deck that i really like to play at that time uh, and that would be like Crackling Doom. Like I would think it would be awesome if this is a format where Cra Crackling Doom was a good, reasonable removal spell to have around. Uh, I also really enjoyed Butcher of the Horde, but I can't imagine that a that a, a format this wide is going to be really have space for a forecasting cost five four kind of ofi card. But we'll see. Yeah. On the same note, it feels like anything could happen though, right? Like I'm we're saying all these things and like. I, don't we want to play a format where both Stormbreath Dragon and Crackling Doom and Butcher of the Horde and whatever blue red spells deck that Stan is showing us wants like like we want that to be viable, right? Like we want all these decks to be like, hey, you can play that here. So we'll see if the what rises to the top and what is and is not too powerful. Yeah. And and in that aspect, I guess the one deck that I would love to port over from a standard that I really enjoyed is Jeskai Heroic. <gasps> a heroic deck being playable here would make me lose my mind so yeah, i don't like, know if, me in the negative way yeah i mean <laughs> so shane hated that deck i really loved that deck especially once it gained access to team or battle rage which was a super weird kind of version of it the the thing that's interesting about it is that i also think that this is a deck where our namesake card could potentially be good in this format because mm. you could play stubborn denial, but you could also play dive down as as a uh, a redundant copy of stubborn denial. So you have onboard counter magic to protect your heroic folks. Something to think about. Something to think about. Is this our chance to confess to our listeners that when we named this podcast, it was because we were always expecting to pivot into whatever the next eternal format was? Because we have all been stockpiling dive downs. Mm. I have. 500 foil dive downs oh, only 500 <laughs> try 20,000 yeah patrons hold on to your signed copies Ooh, one <laughs> one day the smithsonian will want those from your grandchildren but those are the the first things that came to mind about what i would be excited about so now let's cover a little bit about what are some of the things we're nervous about because as much as i have a lot of cosmic optimism excited to finally cast death Ray shaman there is still, I think, another side to the sword, right? That cards we don't get to play anymore. The price of the format on day one, etc. So if you have cosmic optimism, I want to call this galactic negativity. Oh, I'm here for that. I, 
I'm just excited about hearing about the other side of the sword, that well-known euphemism that every sword <laughs> yeah. has two sides. On one, yeah. yeah, on one side, you have this bright, shining galaxy, and on the other end, this dark, cosmic void. I don't know what you want. The sword of light and shadow is not legal in this format. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I mean, I, I am definitely very excited and pleased with this announcement, but I, I do think that the early days of this format might be a little bit busted as people start to discover these really synergistic decks, I, I, I don't think this is going to be standard plus where like a pile of powerful cards can like rule the roost. Most of the time, I think we're going to see powerful combo decks. I mean, for Pete's sake, they didn't ban Felidar guardian and the Sahili Rai combo out of the gate. Right. And I think it's all you really need to know about the way they're going to police the format. It's going to be reactive rather than proactive. And I think that's good. So I feel like this might be my last chance to respond to Sahili cat combo staying in the format. And I think there's an initial safety valve, which is turn one thoughtsies. Sure. I mean, that helps. But then that's, you know, one color and a four of a card. So that's it is a safety valve. But, you know, you're right. And you also can respond to Sahili Rai being on the board. There's a lot of options there, right? But I think that, you know, there's cards like Dig Through Time, Treasure Cruise, those are legal for now. We're going to see them test the format a bit, and they're going to let it stretch its legs. They're going to let people discover things, and it might be a little annoying to deal with that boundary setting happening for like the first months, six months, who knows how long. So just point by point here, I mean, I I think that your trepidation is really well-founded. You know, the last time that we saw a format like this when Modern came out, as Zach noted, there was a bunch of truly degenerate stuff that happened. I I wonder a little bit, again, if this goes back to the fact that the way that cards are designed now are not quite as enabling of shenanigans like this as they were in the previous previous era. And so we don't have a bunch of single blue mana cantrips that are redundant that let you get to where you're trying to go. You know, we don't have a bunch of really weird, obscure kind of like wind condition carts. We don't have like, there's isn't like a tooth and tooth and nail or like a hypergenesis or something like that. Like they didn't, there wasn't a huge list of just broken cards that they decided to ban off the bat, which I think is kind of interesting. I just feel like these sets are just less broken in general than some of the previous cards have been so i I don't know where this is going to end up in that sense yeah dave that's something i talked about earlier where i feel like 2012 and trend ravnica was really a pivotal shift in their design policy and the way they view sets and the way they design sets like it was sort of where magic became self-aware in a way where they became aware of this past of like oh there's a lot of these really unreal you know fast mana big creature combos or just intense strategies and not that there weren't that after and like you know obviously treasure cruise is a card that we just you know briefly mentioned but i think from this point forward like you're talking about is a a key moment where they're aware of a set they're designing for and even if they weren't aware of pioneer they know that they want to start seeding for a format or laying the work for a format that's inherently different than modern so i'll concede that i think the majority of what you both are saying is true, but I will counterpoint by looking at Aetherworks Marvel plus Embercool being in the set. I will counter by saying, you know, again, Feldar Guardian Sahili Rai is in this format. So these are things that I think, you know, they're going to be writing the rules of this format, perhaps the unwritten rules of this format as we go along. And that may be a little bit annoying to deal with, but 
also fun if that's kind of your thing is testing the boundaries, seeing what you're winning with and what you can push those boundaries with yourself. Like we talked about things like Jace and Stoneforge are put on the balance for modern ever started and they've come off eventually. So I think you're right that there's going to be instantly like beyond degenerate decks where it's like, okay, well, this deck is consistently doing this on turn two, so it's got to go. But it's interesting to see, okay, well, obviously we're going to ban all these wildly fast combos, all these incredibly consistent whatevers, but some more mid-range value or grindy cards aren't going to get cut because of fear. They'll have to actually prove themselves. Yeah, I think that's a good, uh, I think it's a good point. Yeah, so... There'll be a, a period transition, and it's not going to be so great. I think it's going to take a little bit to settle out to where we want it to be. But I think that it's better this way in the long run, but not in the short term. I'm also curious what you guys have to think about kind of my next area of trepidation, and that's the impact on modern. Shane's areas of trepidation. I love it. So, you know, the impact on modern in turn impacts us as modern players, as modern collection holders, and as modern podcasters. Um, you know, modern's not cheap. It's been it's been frustrating for people to keep up with it financially and mentally. The power level can make it feel like it's sometimes that drag race format instead of like that intricate back and forth strategy game. So I can see people saying, "Okay, I don't want to deal with the cost. I don't want to deal with uh, the mental upkeep. Maybe Pioneer can be the best of both worlds where it has like the strategic gameplay that the best standards have and the best standards are known for. But you have that larger card pool to work with, you know, of Pioneer. So what if it quickly pushes Modern to the back burner for a number of players, right? You know, but if I could distill my one concern about this format's impact on Modern, for me personally, a lot of it's actually financial. And the thing I really worry about is that this collection I've been building and this value I've been accruing will just plummet like a stock market crash. And that would feel bad. Like... It might not feel bad for Standard and Pioneer or EDH players, but for people who have been invested in this format to lose, you know, a lot of, it's, it's not liquid, but it's, you know, there's, this, there's a certain understanding that these cards are supposed to hold value for a while and that's why we invest in them. I think losing that overnight would, would really stink. I think it's possible that there is a departure of modern players or Pioneer, absolutely. But I think a thing I've talked about a lot on this episode is that I feel like Pioneer is going to offer a distinctly different and unique experience from Modern in that there are some strategies that are not available to you just frankly at all. So if you want to play a certain kind of strategy, once again, aka me, Mono Red Prison, I have to play Modern for that, right? I can't play that in Pioneer as far as we know, right? Or it doesn't seem available to me in the way I want to play it. So I think that we might see a exodus or a, you know a merger or a movement from modern into pioneer but i think that we might even see people come into modern because that's the only place they can play these strategies or only place they can sort of work on this level yeah i mean i don't know if it even needs to be a move right like i think there can be you can have a feat in both pools yeah two things can be true absolutely but um yeah and and one thing we do know is that modern players are loyal right i mean the events are always crowded people keep buying in you know they buy the modern horizons cards they need to to keep playing you know there's a ton of fun decks in a lot of different play styles there's a lot of reasons for people to keep playing modern even with the appeal of pioneer i think yeah i mean i totally hear what you guys are saying i mean i think that the cash concern is like a real bummer to think about here just because you know like you said they're not really liquid assets and you know, it's hard to imagine like how many people really are going to like sell out or want to sell out or that idea of like selling your collection is always the thing that's kind of like, it's so abstract. But if you have your, 
cards logged into some kind of collection platform like like MTG Goldfish or something and you see that kind of stock market starting to tick down that that does suck. Um I just think that it's like it's there's it's very likely that people are going to stay invested in it because I agree with Zach that it's just going to be a different play style from what Pioneer is going to offer. It's going to be way more powerful. I'll tell you who should be really nervous is legacy players. Honestly, it's super uh, mostly because you know wizards of the coast don't really have a good financial incentive to keep legacy going in any way they do have a financial incentive to keep modern going because they can print all the cards in modern they can't reprint the cards in legacy yeah reserve list um i have a called shot that is maybe the most wild thing i've said on the air i'm i'm on the edge of my seat You've said some wild things. You are you are a wild man. Yeah, you said that four isn't a real number. Four is debatable. It's not in most books that I've read, at least. But what I'm going to say is, is it possible that if Pioneer might gain footage, if it might gain ground, that we see something like Chrome Mox unbanned in Modern, and Modern just sort of allowed to sort of, like you said, if Legacy melts away or if Legacy's part erodes, what if we can allow Modern to sort of just be a little more degenerate and be a little more silly. I want to run Chrome Mox. I I heard someone, I mean, this is not a speculation podcast, but I did hear a few people mention that kind of concept, which is, well, maybe they just sort of blend elements of legacy and elements of modern. And we get kind of like, I could be okay with that. I mean, we'll see what happens. I'd prefer that it didn't fully, you know, more fully drag race out modern and kind of get back to the slowing down. That's made it a little bit of a better format. I think, I think we'll do to be seen. So, you know, we're talking about the finance stuff, right? What do you think this means, you know, financially and otherwise for modern players right now? Like, are there things that you think people should start buying? Are there things that you think people should start selling? Like, what are you what what's bumping around your guys' brain in terms of the the very near future from our modern listeners? A lot of red cards that I had uh, played with in past standard decks or played with online and rented but never actually purchased. I went and just bought today. And it was really cheap. I got a bunch of cards for a buck or two bucks a pop. And there are cards that I've always been like, you know, maybe one day, and I think that it's important to have for modern as well. But I feel like for me, it's just like, hey, just buy them because you don't want them to be in two months, triple or you know, quadruple this price. So that's my advice. If you have cards you know that are easy and cheap to pick up that you've been wanting, but sort of like, eh, it's so cheap, I can get it whenever, just get it now. Mm-hmm. One of the impacts it had on me was that uh, I actually pulled a bunch of stuff out of my trade binder. And likewise, I was suddenly feeling incentivized to just hold on to a bunch of bulk that I might have gotten rid of sooner. So now all of a sudden, especially in this transition period, I am way less motivated to just like get rid of draft chaff or get rid of like a bunch of random stuff that I've like held on to for no good reason since Dominaria. And I like to periodically purge my collection of like this useless cardboard. And now I just don't feel like that's a really good idea. Yeah, I'm feeling the pain of having sold off some quote unquote bulk rares, maybe like six, eight months, months ago, where, you know, in my MTG goldfish collection manager, I had three heroes downfall, but I think I sold those, didn't take them out. Uh, I think in, you know, I, I had four hangerback walkers 
in my collection, but I can't find them anywhere because I think I like traded them to a friend in Chicago before I moved and just didn't take those out either. So just a lot of like small things that I'm like, dang, I wish I had those now. It's basically a meme, but when I got home, I opened my binder and saw my four copies of Pulkernos, and I went, yes, now is the time. It is now. Uh, I'm just thinking about going through all my bulk rares and pulling out all the lands, because I've been I've had a habit of just keeping <laughs> all the rare lands that I ever opened. That's probably good. That's probably good. That's probably good. That's probably good. <laughs> and they're just in boxes everywhere, so yeah, now I'm just going to try to keep them. And that includes things like the lands from uh, Shadows over Innistrad, which is like... Who knows if these are going to be good, but they come into play untapped sometimes. That might be worth playing, you know? So it's just like going back through and finding those. And I would recommend that anybody who's listening to this that's interested in Pioneer does the same thing. Get all your lands together from the last seven years and put them in a box and don't do anything with them unless you're sure you're going to get some value out of them. Yeah, and right now I think is a good time to get the cheap real estate that you think you might need. Like a lot of the recent uh, check lands, I think specifically, are pretty darn cheap, like in the dollar fifty, two fifty range. A lot of the pain lands were printed a ton for like you know uh, corset after corset after corset. You get the pain lands. Uh, you the fast lands from Kaladesh are pretty darn cheap. So mana is what makes decks work. And if you don't have the lands, you're not going to be able to play the decks very well. So invest in real estate if you think you're going to play this format at all. I think that's probably a better idea than buying into specific cards. You think they're going to be powerful, like creatures, planeswalkers, etc. Wrong. Buy Hazret. Buy Hazret. Hazret won't get banned, so. Buy Hazret. So, Painlands don't see a ton of play in modern, and in case you just happen to be unfamiliar with what that cycle is, those are cards like Yavamaya Coast and Shivan Reef, which tap for an enemy color, but they deal one damage for you, or you can tap them for colorless. It's neat. Brushland is a modern staple. I won't hear it spoken about any other way. Hmm. I mean, it's interesting to note that I think the the allied ones are not legal in Pioneer. Yeah, it's only the enemy. It's like it's like a red, white, black, green. So, do we see allied painlands reprint incoming next core set? I don't think I don't think they want to make the mana perfect. Like this, the the better you make the mana then the easier it is for people to just jam three and four color piles. Yeah, but mm-hmm. these aren't these don't exactly incentivize splashing. No, I mean, they're not great, no. These, <laughs> these cards. So I, I think there's actually a good shot. They, they might get reprinted at some point. Likewise, even if the mana is better, it's still, I think, a better outcome than people fetching for good mana and spending a lot of time shuffling constantly. Anything that increases randomness is pretty good, in my opinion. So... Going back to things to to buy and sell, I'm really hesitant to tell anyone to to buy anything because I think if there's one thing I know about Watsi the past few years is that they love giving people the opportunity to pay them directly for old cards. Yeah, I would not be surprised at all to see some type of masters type products in the very near future to support this format. I mean, this is why I think modern will survive ultimately too, is because of the strong financial. Uh, incentive to have it survive but when it comes to pioneer i mean the only thing i would throw out there is a little caution flag is that they said they're going to move away from doing master style products to support modern so i wonder if they have something else in mind as far as supporting pioneer goes and there's a lot of talk that they might be looking at doing pre-constructed decks yep, yep. which they've never really done in modern before no they've only done they the did one. it black white tokens 
And like that deck was so close. It honestly, it was like because clearly they saw a good deck or a deck that was playable at the time, and what this could be a good buy-in and cut at the right places. Like I think that deck had the right value. I think it was on the right track, but they couldn't quite do it. But they did it five years ago, and they never did it again. Right, exactly. So, so I think that there's a good chance that in this format they start to consider that as a as an option as a way to um, get old cards out there. The the one thing I would say is I, I totally agree with what Shane was saying as far as being cautious about what you buy right now, mostly because of bans. I think what you should do is if you're a modern player, there's a good chance that you have you're gonna have most yeah. of one of these decks yeah, yeah, yeah. already. And maybe you have to buy some commons, maybe you have to buy some uncommons to make it work. But I'm gonna be looking at what decks I can play with the cards that I already have for a while. And honestly, the only card that I'm sad that I missed on out on not buying right now is probably Jace Vin Vrint Prodigy, just because um yeah, I didn't I didn't pull the trigger on Sunday night. I was gonna buy two and then I, I didn't do it. I have two already. That card will likely be good and will likely be expensive whether it's good or not. So Yeah. And to build off what Dave's saying right now, like I mentioned earlier, this is a format where people who would, you know, maybe play this during college or play this a little bit around 2014 or 15 or whatever might have cards that are still playable right now. But also on the other end of the spectrum, you have players with a big collection where they go, oh, I can actually just, you know, spend 10 or 15 bucks to buy the cards I need for this. So you have people on both ends of the spectrum able to kind of not quickly audible, but able to reasonably get into a format, at least right now. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm pretty sure I'm going to have all of, of the Felidar Guardian Sahili deck, whatever becomes the good version of that. I'm reasonably sure that I already have it. A little bit humble brag, but okay. Well, I mean, I'm just saying like I bought Sahili Rai when it was cheap because I thought that that deck might have possibilities in modern. It, it does get played sometimes in modern and it's cheap. Do you all think that it's time to start selling some of your modern cards? Like, are you thinking about kind of outing any of your collection right now to kind of make some cash back before you're holding the bag or what? I think there might be some incentive in holding because if the legacy thing happens, some of these cards might just retain a ton of value within a niche community. I'm I'm I have like this concern about just the the FOMO, right? Like I've, if I start moving any of my pricey cards, I might not be able to play a deck that comes up that I want to play in modern. Uh, but I have let that make a lot of decisions for me in terms of my my collection specifically but my my suggestion to our listeners is don't let that fomo take over your decision making because like both with getting new cards and selling your old cards like if you're seeing people experiment with pioneer decks that you're excited about and you have modern cards that you haven't put in a deck box in months like maybe it's time it's not like any of the stuff's irreplaceable right like we're not we're not talking foil russian tarmogoyfs unless you are i mean for me honestly you know that i'm like a buy and hold person and so I'm just going to buy and hold like I'm just keeping what I have. I'm not often going to sell cards that have made it into like my my permanent collection. Like, for example, this weekend I traded away a foil Azusa. I'm never going to play Titan like that's just not a deck I'm going to build. I'm fine with getting rid of those kind of cards when I happen to get a hold of them. But uh, I'm keeping the cards that are in, in my decks. And I think, like I said, I think that Wizards has strong financial incentives to make modern viable and popular and expensive really when it comes down to yeah. it and so i would i would i'm not too worried about the long-term viability of the format itself so i'm in a place right now where i feel really excited about pioneer but understand that my modern deck can't port over 
I'm not gonna move my cards because I'm open or at least aware of the idea that I might have to move into a different format entirely. If modern changes, if I wanna play in a legacy, I just feel like the future right now has a lot of different winding paths in front of you and it is better to plant your feet firmly and not move around when the future is so uncertain. Don't sell. So we're a modern podcast and our... There are any modern cards that specifically incentivize you to keep playing that format, such as for me, Lightning Bolt is not in Pioneer, and Lightning Bolt is basically my favorite magic card, and I've got these beautiful full art promos to prove it. So as long as I get to keep casting that spell, I think on some level, being able to bolt snap bolt people will help keep me in the format. I think a lot like Zach just mentioned, right, is like, you know, he loves Red Prison. I think there's all sorts of cards and decks in Modern that are just awesome and really just feats of brilliant deck building with like these powerful play patterns, awesome payoffs. You have things like Dredge, like Humans, like Tron, Creature Combo decks. All of those speak to me quite a bit, but many of those are probably going to have no analogs at all in Pioneer or their analogs are kind of cruddy. So they won't play the same at all. So if I want to play that strategy and have the fun that I have, you know, dredging five, then I'm going to have to play modern dredge. If I want to cast a turn three Karn, I'm going to have to play modern Tron. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, when I, when I look at it, it's kind of like the really powerful removal, like path to exile and, and lightning bolt is highly big incentive for me to stay here. Uh, Jace, the Mind Sculptor is probably an incentive for me to, to stay there. Cryptic Command is a card that I love to cast that I think is a good incentive. Kiki Jiki is, you know, I'm off it after this weekend, but that's not in Pioneer. Um, so there's a lot of cards that I that I love that'll keep it keep it going, I think for sure. Yeah, those are all those are all things that I'm glad that we have different perspectives on the format, right? Because I'm hearing you say that and I'm like, I appreciate so much that Dave loves these cards and other people love these cards, right? And like, you know, it's people aren't going to be able, it reminds me that people aren't going to be able to have the same fun they have in modern in Pioneer. It's going to be a different kind of fun. And that's awesome. Yeah. And so my question really ties into that is that I would love to hear, so I have two questions. One is, uh, what do you think in the dark, if we can do this in a sentence, that would be the defining characteristic that's different about the play patterns in Pioneer from Modern? Not fast, just reasonable. Okay. New format staples. You got any thought on what those new format staples are? You know, I'm already thinking about like, what's the new Tarmogoyf, Right. Like right. like Questing Beast is a sixty dollar card today. Sixty? Yes, it, Questing Beast is a sixty dollar card today, and I don't think that's just because of standard. I'm sorry, it, six is sixty is six followed by a zero. Is that correct? Yeah, that's that's three twenties, six tens. Oh my god! I don't think that's just because standard. I think I think I think people see that as as a finisher in mid range decks. Do you know what I mean? And so I I think that we're gonna see the the new cards that make the format what it is. And I think it's going to be fun to discover what those are. So I'm going to not answer your question very well, but I think that we're here to discover them. I mean, what you're saying, new, new format staples to be discovered. Yeah. Like it. I think the threshold for card evaluation changes in pioneer versus modern, where in modern, we 
try to look at a threshold of like one, two, three spell creature planeswalker. And I think we can start to shift that over. And we're going to see games go a little longer, be a little slower, because people yep. can profitably cast four or five mana creatures and maybe uh, four or five mana walkers and Oko. Uh, my sentence here is attacking and blocking are good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's going to be, I think I think that, you know, it, maybe my, my prediction is wrong, that it will be a mid-rangey format, just value creatures, value walkers. And that the combos won't take over, or maybe after the combos get banned out, we will have that intricate, strategic, mid-rangey type game that a lot of players do enjoy with kind of hyper aggro and combo existing alongside it without being overpowered. So I'm curious to see what the future brings. So there you have it. Pioneer. It's on the horizon. It's going west. We're excited to try it. We're excited to hear what our listeners think. Maybe we'll do more Pioneer content in the future. Maybe we won't. For now, we're going to take a quick break, and when we return, we've got a wind-down listener question. Stay with us. This week, we have a question from our friend, a fixture in the Slack Nation, and our occasional collaborator, Emma Partlow, who asks, what's the one modern deck that got away? One you wanted to build but couldn't due to reasons. Maybe it was banned. Maybe you couldn't afford it. What have you? So for me, it was Storm. I mentioned a bunch of times in this podcast when I actually got into Modern, which turns out to be at this point seven friggin' years ago. I had Storm. I was playing Storm with my friends casually and just having fun doing things. But it wasn't very fun to play when only like three of your friends play Modern. And you're kind of maybe like a little better than them, and they have casual decks, and you have a real combo deck. Not a very good time to be playing friends, you know. So I took it apart, took a little break, and then I got back into modern, like I mentioned, and sort of reinvested myself. And I was at this path where someone said, Hey, I'm selling Scrid. Do you want to buy it? And I went, Oh, if I already own Storm. Then I saw that the prices of Scalding Tarn were so very high indeed, and went, You know what? Maybe I don't need to buy these. Maybe I can buy a whole deck for the price instead. And that's what I did. And I bought Scred. So for me, it was Storm. Maybe if I had a more lucrative job at that time, who knows where I would be? But financial constraints made me the player I am, and I love who I am. Well, before I talk about my modern deck that got away, I was looking at the extended art price of uh, Questing Beast. It's still a $35 card, okay? I just don't want to get angry tweets and responses. I'm, I'm sorry. Are you... Ta- are you? We moved a section. Players are done with that. And what you want to do right now is apologize? No. Not accepted. I'm issuing I'm issuing an, I'm issuing an on-the-fly correction. No, no. Ignored. Not ratified. <laughs> so uh, the modern deck that I think I would have enjoyed playing is probably like Birthing Pod. That got banned out really early in my magic playing career, but like these creature value combo decks sound like a real blast to me. Um, you know, got to run Siege Rhino. Uh, you know, Dave, Zach, did either of you guys ever experience much Birthing Pod or get to play it at all? No, I did not. I was taking a little bit of a break from modern at that time, and that'll actually tail into my answer as well. But um, I, I certainly watched it on coverage. So mine that actually fits in with the Birthing Pod time is I would have liked to have played Red Blue Delver oh, yeah. with, tre- with Treasure Cruise. I still can't believe you didn't. Like It seems like something you would have been able to do. 
Well, I definitely could have done. It. I had I had all the cards at that point in time. I just didn't have any. I didn't know anybody who was playing modern. I was just sort of converting my draft cards and random boxes that I had opened into modern decks. And I had bought a a playset of Scalding Tarns, um, but I I was just kind of establishing myself. I even actually had all the cards on Moto at that time. Like I had my own set of Tarns and and cards like that, and I sold them because the Tarns got so valuable. Like they, I think there were 70 tickets or 75 tickets for Scalding Tarns, and I had paid like 15 for them that I just sold all the cards that I had and used them to draft for about two and a half years. So I, I, that's why I miss playing that deck. And so I, uh, kind of wish that I had a chance to feel how powerful it actually was with Treasure Cruise. Maybe I'll get a shot in Pioneer. We'll see. You know, it's funny. My answer isn't Delver, even though I too cast red and blue spells sometimes at the same time. Mm hmm. I wish I got to play Splinter Twin. I think that would have been a very stand deck once upon a time, and yet oh, for sure. I never got it's to the pull most it off. stand deck. I, yeah. I, I try to make it work to this day by playing Kiki Jiki and Pestermite and Brineborn Cutthroat. Probably not as good. How'd that go for you? Dave, I had a lot of fun. <laughs> Dave, batting a five hundred in MTG is not nearly as good as batting a five hundred in baseball. I mean you didn't go over like I did, yeah. but anyway. I, I do want to add a caveat here. You know, I used to be the red black scale elemental guy, and I feel like the banning of Faithless Looting made that deck just not competitive outright. Um, and really, it's unearthed that I think gets quite a bit weaker. So, even though I have tried to make that deck work in some regard, it doesn't feel like the power level I want to be at with the time I spend. And I'll, I'll really miss it. I, I feel like it uh, never really learned to run, it was always just kind of jogging. It was it was starting to get tuned and then it got uh it blew a hammy and it's done. We'll never run again. Skelemental's ACL went out. <laughs> you know, the bone, the um, amazing calcium large. Yeah. There's a song about Skelemental, it's just the bone bone is connected to the bone bone. The bone bone is connected to the bone bone. So that wraps up this week's show. A fun, unique experiment exploring a new format. Maybe we'll see you in Pioneer Town again in the future. Until then, if you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast or pick our brain on something in modern, tweet us at the dive down, all one word, or email thedivedown at gmail.com. You can even find and DM us on Instagram. Also, insta.com slash the dive down, all one word. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon, where joining at any tier gets you access to our super secret, poorly kept secret Slack channel. We love interacting with our patrons, and you can find that at patreon.com slash the dive down. I just want to do a quick shout out and thanks to our patrons. Uh, we could not make the show without you, so you know, uh, keep on being you. Please never stop being you. Also, shout out to Manatraders.com, our other sponsor and supporter. You can sign up for Manatraders using promo code THEDIVEDOWN, all one word, to get 10% off your first three months of renting paper or magic online cards. Get better at modern, get familiar with Frontier, play some standard, whatever makes you happy. Pioneer. You can play Frontier too. It's just in the free free to play <laughs> tournament practice rooms. <laughs> there aren't rooms for it. Yeah, play play what you want. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. 
And until next week, get out there and board the Treasure Cruise! Uh, it, by the way, go and check out bigham.com. Don't do in, that. No, listen dive down <laughs> to, uh, to get 10% off your first three months of ham. Uh Oh, I'm, is it, have you been there? I'm going there. I haven't been there. <laughs> um, it seems like it's available. No, you can get an email address that is at bigham.com. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> so email the dive down at bigham.com for a, <laughs> yeah, yeah, a surprise. Email, email the dive down at bigham.com yeah if you want to get your question dumped to the front of the queue use use our big ham email the dive down at bigham.com